I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to the Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm your co-host, Matt Bernico. And I'm your other co-host, pending debt forgiveness, Dean Detloff. Dean, what are you going to do after dark Joe Biden? He's going to forgive $10,000 of your debt. What are you going to do with all that extra money that you're going to have lying around? <laughs> yeah, after Joe Biden forgives $10,000 of my debt, I am going to have to sort out what the new repayment structure means for the remaining many thousands of dollars <laughs> I still have in my <laughs> debt. So I guess that's what I'll do with all my time. <laughs> yeah, well, at least you'll have a little bit of money to sit on top of. You can prop yourself up. Uh, and kind of get your posture right with those big stacks of uh, cash as you figure out what, how much you still owe. That's right. The the invisible numbers in the government's big box of invisible numbers will go into the smaller box of my loan company's invisible numbers, and that means my invisible numbers will get a little bit smaller. And I I guess I'll uh, I'll appreciate that for sure. Well, folks, you heard it. You heard it first here. <laughs> well, probably not. You heard it here, maybe last. Um, Joe Biden, he finally did it. He pulled the trigger and um now some student debts are forgetting. For, <laughs> forgetting is actually better because it does feel like an Armageddon moment for the right. Some student debts are forgiven. Um in the past few months we've been talking about debt on and off. You know, there's two things we like to talk about in this podcast, and it's ecological crises and debt. <laughs> Those are the two <laughs> topics we've really settled in on. Great at parties. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if uh, people bring up, uh, yeah, either thing, we have a lot to say. But otherwise, <laughs> we're going to be pretty quiet. Um, so, yeah, like I said, we talked about debt a lot in, in the past. We talked about it in terms of, you know, like uh, an ontological situation with, with David Graeber. We've talked about uh, Jubilee and the IMF and the Global South and, you know, uh, a movement to forgive debts kind of on that scale. But this time, we've got to talk about something a little closer to home. That's right. It's Joe Biden and his big debt forgiveness scheme. Uh, so Joe Biden just announced a pretty big policy around the forgiveness of student debt. And the response has been, I think, pretty bonkers. <laughs> um, a lot of people are excited about it, rightfully so. And I think a lot of people are upset that it's not enough. And that's also rightfully so. And then some people are completely unhinged and uh, have a lot to say. <laughs> Most people on the right are pretty unhinged about it. And I... I mean, okay, like it's a complex situation. It's not enough. It's it's a nice step in the right direction. But I do love how much uh, people on the right are losing their minds about it. 
Me too. It's fantastic. Um, I mean, we're going to go through maybe some takes for us to set the stage, but don't worry. It's not going to be one of those boring podcasts where people just riff on current events. We are going to eventually talk about Jubilee. We're going to get there. We're going to figure out what what might be a kind of Christian way of thinking about debt relief, student loans, so on and so forth. Uh, but man, there have been so many wild, wild takes. Um, lots of great tweets, and we can talk about those. Uh, but I do love in particular seeing like editorial boards react to it. <laughs> There's been uh, a lot of very funny takes. The Wall Street Journal, their editorial board had a great take that was like, uh, I forget exactly how they put it. It was, uh, I think they said at one point, Joe Biden has never met an idea from the left he didn't like, which is <laughs> wild. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Just a, a great moment for like the total kind of opening of the floodgates of right wing fantasies to finally run free. So that I think if nothing else is the greatest gift of this whole thing, as flawed as it is, uh, a lot of people are really mad about it. And I can appreciate that. I appreciate that deeply. Um, yeah, I mean, people on the right, whether they're the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal or, you know, they're like a weird right wing uh, politician, they've created some very, I think, broad messaging, but um, extremely cynical messaging that tries to downplay the importance of student debt forgiveness. And they, you know, have all kinds of um, all kinds of jokes and uh, witticisms about it that I think are all pretty weird but they're funny i guess just to see people like have a hard time with it i like that um whenever my enemies are struggling i'm happy about it <laughs> anyways um <laughs> it's important not to let people like get away with it though i think um you know there's this the cynical sort of downplaying of student debt forgiveness is I, I i don't want people to get away with it not in the sense that like we need to let joe biden take like credit for this or something but but not to let people, um, I don't know, spin the conversation on debt even more kind of out of control than it already is, right? Um, whether the right likes it or not, I think that Jubilee and the forgiveness of debts is a pretty deeply Christian issue, and it's a mission, I think. <laughs> it's it's in there, right? Uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's right in there, and uh, it's kind of hard to avoid, I think, if you're going to be a Christian person and take uh, and take Jesus very seriously. So I think that uh, in light of all this, it's just one more reason that Christians should really fight for a situation where um, the creditors in our society are not beyond reproach. They're not some kind of like mythological figures that we can't even criticize or uh, hopefully escape. And also uh, a society where, uh, you know, education is free in general because it's uh, part of the common good or something. So I think we have a lot to say about debt, as always. And uh, we'll probably do a little bit of backtracking as well as things we've said in previous episodes, but that's OK. Um, but before we get into anything like too heavy here, let's set the stage with a few details about this big this big debt forgiveness plan. Joe Biden set up a policy that will forgive ten thousand dollars in student loan debt and twenty thousand dollars if you get a Pell Grant. And if you're if you didn't, sorry, just ten thousand. It applies to people who make less than one hundred twenty five thousand dollars a year. So that's pretty good. I mean, you know, it's it's always got to be means tested. Uh, it wouldn't be a Democratic uh, <laughs> Party initiative if it were not means tested in at least one way. Um, and then I think the part that is maybe flying under the radar for some people, but kind of a cool part of it, or uh, maybe not cool, cool is probably the right, not the right word, but it's a part of it that I think is interesting, um, that you can cap your repayment uh, per month at 5% your, your monthly income. So um, it's not perfect. It's not a perfect thing. It's not enough. It's not what people deserve. But it is like, I guess, something that gives you a little bit of breathing room. And uh, that's not that's not nothing, I suppose. 
yeah, there's other pieces of it that are genuinely helpful in the long term as well. Like uh, it eases some of the burden on interest as it grows, for example. Like if you're consistently paying, then the interest has to be um, I forget all the details of it, <laughs> but mitigated. Uh, you know, it can't just run away, I guess, uh, in the way that it does right now. Um, and there is a lot of other things, too, like uh, it, it expands pathways for debt forgiveness um, based on industries or kind of areas that you work in, especially nonprofits, which those have always been kind of on the table, but like maybe not, you know, loan companies don't want you to do it, <laughs> obviously. So um, there's a lot of little pieces to it. And I think that's actually something that has been lost in the conversation or, as you said, flying under the radar, right? Like. The $10,000 forgiveness is the big ticket, like headline grabber and like, fair enough, that is good. But uh, for people like myself who have more than that <laughs> to deal with in debt, uh, it's actually it, more interesting also to be able to think about, OK, well, there's other sort of paths out of uh, debt and they might not, you know, m mean that you're going to pay debt until you're a million years old or into retirement the way that people are still doing right now. So there, it's not perfect, and we're going to talk about those deficiencies. I think it's important not to let Biden off the hook or the Democrats off the hook. This could have been better. Yeah. It could have been a lot better. Uh, but it's important to kind of recognize that it, it's also yeah, <laughs> opening it's some important. things up. I think there's, there's a line to walk, right? Like, it's important not to let Biden off the hook, for sure, because it could be better easily. I mean, if he can, if he can forgive $10,000 in student debt, he could forgive a lot more. <laughs> um, it's also, though, worth noting yeah. that, like, it is a pretty big victory for the people who have been fighting for it and pressing Joe Biden into doing something. I, I think that that is something that, you know, like when it comes to a political policy that kind of gets put in place that is like clearly deficient, I think people go go from like zero to 100 when it comes to like complaining that this isn't enough, which is, I, I think, fine. It's not enough. But I think it is worth kind of like respecting the struggle that the people like the activists, like the debt collective and all these kinds of people who've been like really struggling for this particular policy. It's important to kind of like respect the fight they've been they've been putting on because it's like kind of amazing. that They made Joe Biden uh, someone who has done very little uh, do something, you know, important. Yeah, I agree. Also, like Joe Biden, for most of the beginning of his presidency, I mean, he did promise on the campaign trail that he was going to do this. Uh, but at the beginning of his presidency, he kept saying over and over, I'm not actually sure if I can. I don't think I have the power, all this kind of stuff. And the fact that he did do it also calls his bluff. <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe in ways that he doesn't understand or that even uh, pundits and movements don't quite understand. But it's a great revelation that like when politicians tell you, oh, I'm not sure it, uh, they're lying to you. <laughs> they could just yeah, do it. Yeah. And uh, now we know. So it's important to also kind of see what else does something like this reveal? Totally. I mean, I remember in the last news cycle about this, though, before this one, right, uh, that was such a big talking point. People were, I don't know, tweeting about it. They're posting articles about it. Can Joe Biden really do this? Right. Um, big, big, giant question mark. <laughs> the answer is yes, he can. He just did. <laughs> so I don't know. I hope they're all eating their hats. Um <laughs> OK, so Joe Biden, I mean, an, uh, an easy target for criticism right now. And that's fine. It's it's very fun to do that. Um, but let's talk about some of the right wing response, because I think it's all extremely funny to see how bent out of shape people have gotten. Um, OK, so, uh, Dean, I've, I've collected a bunch of tweets and I want to read them to you and you can tell me what you think. You can uh, give okay, me great. Your, you can tell me what you would tweet back at them. <laughs> right, right. What a great game. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a great game. We're role-playing Twitter right now. So uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, I'll tell you what they say, and then you can roll a, a 20-sided die, and uh, I'll tell you how effective your comeback is. Right, right. And then All we right. do have to uh, medically touch grass afterwards. <laughs> that's true. That's true. All right. So uh, Representative Jim Jordan, he's a representative from Ohio. He said, what about Americans who already paid off their student loans? I included this one because this is what everyone said the second – the second this is this happened, and I mean, this is what everyone said even before it happened. Uh, I just want to put it on the table because it's like it's like the most prevalent uh, talking point I think on the right right now is that uh, what about people who already did this though? Mm-hmm. So, Dean, what would you tweet back at uh, Rep. Jim Jordan? Yeah, I'd probably tweet back. Uh, what about your mom? Yeah, that's good. That's a critical hit. Great. You yeah, would be so. extremely mad about that. Yeah, I he think. bug off. I think for the rest because of the what about his mom? Yeah, I think that's a great question. It's a great question, and it has always worked for me in the past uh, in a variety of situations. You know, I, I do think, though, this is a uh, yeah, it's the talking point that is going around. What about people who already paid off their loans? I'm, there's other ones, too. Maybe you you have some great tweets that rec- that kind of uh, bring them up as well. But like the other takes or the other kind of related take I've seen a lot is um, what about the people who actually have to foot the bill for this, the taxpayer and so on, which is kind of a roundabout way of saying the same thing, right, that. Um, there are some people who either already did the hard work to pay off their loans and I guess they don't benefit from this policy (laughs) and um, I don't know, too bad for them, whatever. Uh, And then the other, uh, you know, kind of what about the taxpayer who's, who never went to college or whatever, but they never have to pay for this. And I think the, the solution or kind of the argument is really simple and, and addresses both, which is like, you know, what about like a person whose house burns down and like you paid for the fire department? Isn't that very good? <laughs> if your house never <laughs> burns down and nevertheless, uh, other people get the, you know, the fire department there. Like there's all kinds of public goods that we all pay for because we know that a strong society needs to be able to have that available and all that kind of stuff. And I guess the big question, what about Americans who already paid off their student loans? Uh, the big sort of uh, issue for me is like, yeah, why didn't we um, enact this policy sooner so that they didn't have to worry about it? <laughs> Thank you, Jim Jordan, asking the tough questions. Well, it's so frustrating because Jim Jordan, an actual politician who is like sitting right now, like he could just introduce legislation that like uh, pays people back for it or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't right. know. Yeah. It's like you could just fix this problem yourself if you were an idiot. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, so I think that you're right, right? There's like uh, having educated people in your society is like a public good. I think it's for everyone's benefit. And you would probably, you should probably want that. I think, you know, whatever. If you're a person who didn't go to college, I guess that's fine. I mean, no shade on you, obviously. And it doesn't mean that you're not smart or educated, but like, I don't know. Having people who like go to get like uh, like an accredited degree to be a social worker is a very good thing. Yeah. Or, you know, having someone go study philosophy is a good thing because I don't know. Think about all the things that that, that produces. It's it's good. It's good that people learn things, I think, is my hot take. Yeah, I think it's a great hot take. And I think even more crass than that, like it's also bad for a society to have so many people burdened down by a giant debt. <laughs> like yeah. that in itself is not good. I mean, even in a kind of strictly capitalist sort of way, like you don't have to be a communist to recognize that uh, it's not good to uh, reduce the buying power of your citizens for literally no reason other than enriching like people who make money off of purely speculative finance ventures, right? Like, That's not healthy for an economy. It's very bad. It leads to uh, all kinds of crises, crises of spending power, 
Um, it leads to, yeah, just like really unhealthy, even capitalist kind of things that are going on. So it's like, you know, even if you can't get someone around to the very good point that like, it's good to have a culture that can produce educated people. And that's great. Uh, it's like, it's also bad to have a culture that just produces people who are overburdened by debt. And that's very bad. So we should all want that to change. Yeah. One more thing before I move on to the next one, I swear to God, I will move on. But, um, the what about Americans who already paid off their student loans is also just like bonkers because like politics, I guess it just seems like so completely cynical and stupid because like politicians know, right, that not every single piece of legislation or every single policy decision is going to affect everyone universally, right? Yeah, like some yeah. people will just be affected and some people won't. And that's just the, the nature of doing political stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I don't know, man. I, why don't you know that? <laughs> why, why is that not as obvious to you as it is to me? Okay, uh, here's another one. This is from Eric Schmidt, who is the uh, current attorney general of Missouri, my state. <laughs> and he's also uh, he's also running for U.S. Senate, and he's probably going to win. Um, and I think this one is particularly egregious, and you'll see why in a minute. Eric Schmidt writes, Harvard and Yale should liquidate their endowments if the elites are serious about forgiving student debt. Why should the truck driver pay for the Ivy League doctor's unpaid debt? This shouldn't be working folks burden. The Democrats are the party of, by, and for the elites. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what would you tell Eric Schmidt? Yeah, I mean, apart from saying, uh, (laughs) uh, what about your mom? Um, I guess I would say, yeah. yeah, uh, That's implied. Implied, exactly. My second tweet would be, um, I guess I would I would want to say something like uh, the Democrats are the party of buying for the elites is a really ironic thing to say uh, if you are a party who's literally co- going to bat for people paying back extremely rich creditors <laughs> like <laughs> who's being defended in this tweet. It's not actually truck drivers. Truck drivers are not the uh, the people of interest here. Uh, the people who benefit from the current debt regime are rich people. That's it. Elites. The, those are the only people who benefit. Nobody else benefits from it. So why would you preserve that? If you're upset about elites, you would do everything in your power to say, this is actually very bad. We should change it. Yeah, yeah. As a longtime follower of Eric Schmidt, uh, this is the thing he does quite a bit, is try to spin somehow that uh, Republicans are a party of the working class. Mm-hmm. And it is extremely, it's just, it's a very funny thing to argue for Republicans in Missouri because they are literally responsible for reducing the minimum wage <laughs> after it was raised right. um, in, in St. Louis. So it's like, you know, they're uh, they're the party of the working class, but they do want you to make less money than you right, should. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, well, that's less to pay off other people's student loans. So I can understand. <laughs> that's right. They don't need the extra money because they're not paying off anyone's student loans. Right. Um, all right. How about this? This is from a representative from Indiana. His name is Jim Banks. <laughs> this one's really it's pretty brazen. Student loan forgiveness undermines one of our military's greatest recruitment tools at a time of dangerously low enlistments. <laughs> <laughs> I would just, I'd be like, I'd just be back. Yeah, man, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, I love having an army of people who, uh, the trade-off for learning how to murder someone is you get to go to college for free. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty incredible stuff there. I, I think it's great that he just like, I mean, he's exactly right. And but we just we just have different values, I think, on this on this issue. Yeah. You know, it's wild. Like there's a lot of literature out there about what they call the economic draft, that there's not a a regular draft, but there's a kind of compulsion for poor people to join the military as a way of getting like upward class mobility and stuff like that. 
And you know what else frustrates me about that? Like, I won't say too much about this because it's not my story, but in my family, a handful of people have gone through exactly this. Like, didn't have a lot of money, had no prospects, no way of getting out of their economic situation. So they joined the military and, you know, whatever that they like. They did what this guy says, right? The military promises a kind of economic future, including an education. And that was the motivating factor for them to join. Uh, but in the end, not one of those people ended up having a positive experience in the military, and uh, they all got screwed when they did try to go to college, and they got so messed up from what they had to do or go through in the military that they couldn't succeed in college anyway. So it's like, you know, it's also frustrating because not only is the economic logic behind a tweet like this uh, extremely gross, but like, it's also a lie. I mean, the military, I'm sure it works for some people, whatever. They end up getting good desk jobs and they get an education and all that kind of stuff. But like for my poor family who did join the military, it just ended up being bad and awful and they didn't even get the benefit at the very end. So <laughs> I don't know. Good riddance, I guess. Get rid of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I mean, the United States military is a big imperialist machine. I don't have a lot of things yeah, of that are nice to say about it. Um, though there is this there is an organization in the United States I think is actually pretty interesting uh, called Veterans for Peace that, uh, you know, kind of speak out about the like uh, veterans affairs, like what happens to people after they come out of the military. And I think it's actually a really interesting um, organization that has a lot of good things to say. Um, people come out of the, out of the military extremely jacked up. Yeah. And that's bad. It's bad. And I don't think uh, free college should be a good way to entice people to learn how to kill other people that's my hot take <laughs> a good take okay here's another tweet um and this one's not from a political person this is from uh everyone's favorite worship pastor sean Floyd. <laughs> great so i i got a kind of a good cross-section here of people who are christian father husbands but right. also not not um not solely politicians so there's a there's a worship pastor in here too so that's great yeah Sean though, Floyd writes, though he did run for office. <laughs> okay, good point. Uh, this is, I'm sorry, this is not as uh, diverse as a cross-section as I thought previously. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Foyt says, it's not student loan forgiveness, it's student loan transferal. Mm, someone's finally saying it. Yeah, someone's finally saying it. Those of us who worked hard and were responsible to pay off our college loans are now picking up the tab for those who did not. There must be an election around the corner. Biden is buying votes. <laughs> I love the last sentence of it. There must be an election around the corner. Like, you don't actually know. Like, he's <laughs> not quite sure. You can literally Google it. <laughs> like, there's a bunch of primaries uh, just like last <laughs> week. And um, is there, there must be an election around the corner. Uh, this is how Sean Foyt finds out. He doesn't get, like, a mailer or anything. Um, <laughs> he's just he, reading tea leaves. Yeah, exactly. He's reading the tea leaves and kind of uh, the signs of the time are telling him that Biden must be buying these votes. Yeah, and I got to tell you, uh, he could, he should have spent more money on him. Joe Biden. <laughs> votes. Yeah. You know what? Uh, Joe Biden can buy my vote. In fact, I encourage him to try to buy it. And I do have to warn him. I'm an expensive vote. <laughs> I take <laughs> I actually take quite a lot. You know, this happens a lot in uh, criticism of left wing uh, stuff like I think it was maybe two elections ago in Venezuela. I remember when Maduro was running, there was all this stuff um, in like the bourgeois press about uh, the food programs. Um, I forget what it's called. There's an acronym for it, but it's like there's like these boxes of food and goods that the government has. Clap. That's what it's called. Um, mm. They pass these out uh, to people who need food and so on. 
And, uh, you know, it's like a really big food distribution program. It's very important in a time of economic crisis. So anyway, uh, the government like was expanding that program during the election and people were accusing the PSUV of buying votes. And it's so funny because it's like, yeah, imagine that you're a poor person and the government actually feeds you. You'd probably be like, I think we should probably stick with these ones. <laughs> so, like, uh, it's a perfectly rational decision. And I, I think uh, Joe Biden can actually work harder to buy my votes. I welcome uh, I welcome that in my marketplace of ideas yeah i think that's good uh that's the thing about the left uh you know we're we're all we're all dirt bags that just want to eat a gas station pizza and drink a pbr but when it comes to buying our votes we're expensive people right. so keep that in mind uh dark brandon dark brandon indeed um so okay i think we've got a good sense here of the discourse uh this is what's going on it's what people are tweeting (laughs) they're saying it on the internet they're saying it around the dinner table i'm sure on facebook and so on uh what is a christian to do and i think this was a moment where matt and i were like okay we should talk about it what should we say um we thought the natural place is to go back and revisit the jubilee and we have been talking about it on the show, so we're going to do a little bit of review, but you can never talk about the Jubilee too much. And I think uh, one thing that's very interesting about debt in general is even though I think debt has some, you know, pretty like standardized characteristics, the context or the kind of light that you show it in help us to understand it in some kind of unique ways. So I think that'll help with Jubilee as well. So maybe we could start with like a bit of historical background. I don't know. Does that seem like a good place <laughs> to dive into this? There is a deep history of debt. Uh, in, in a past episode, we talked about David Graeber's debt, the first 5,000 years. And it is an important book, I think for a lot of reasons, because it shows you how like ingrained debt as sort of like a structure is, I think in human societies and cultures, it's like, it runs pretty deep, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, but I think even more so than like it, being like a, a a deep running vein of like um you know cultural form or something or political form it, the thing that david graver points out that i always really enjoy and i think is relevant to this conversation is that like debt takes on this very ontological type of uh place in human culture and human society in our brains where you know we always assume that we're indebted not just to like the government but we're indebted to the people who've come before us or you know, we're indebted to some other type of like cosmic being in, in one way or another. Right. And Christianity is an interesting religion in that uh, in that sense, because it's kind of trying to settle the scales in some in some senses around that ontological debt. Um, but yeah, I don't know, Dean, wh- what other historical stuff do you want to talk about? Yeah, I mean, there's so much to say about both debt and Jubilee. I think, like you said, debt is this thing that has a long history and it's, it's even ingrained in uh, in us in these complicated ways. It's in our language. Um, there's this quote from uh, the philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein, who I like to quote every once in a while, where he says uh, a whole mythology is stored in our language. And I think that is definitely true with debt, right? The mm. the way that we talk about all kinds of things really invoke debt and not always for the worst, too. Like, I think uh, debt is a really complicated thing. Um, but the uh, the thing that I always find so fascinating about debt is how ancient it is, even in a material sense and how much of a problem it is, even before capitalism. I think because we live in such a hyper debt and credit focused economy now, it can be maybe tempting to see that as like a unique feature of capitalism. And certainly it takes on a unique form and and even a unique kind of like primary place in capitalism. Um, But uh, one of the kind of struggles of like 
you know, the, the merchant class and, and the capitalist class before it existed, the, the predecessors to the capitalist class was actually trying to get people to like, you know, um, get on board with debt <laughs> in a big way. It was actually really hard because guess what? It's annoying. Debt is annoying. It sucks. Um, another great book uh, that we talked about in the past was a book by Michael Hudson, who's a really fascinating guy. If you've never read anything by him, he has had a kind of wild career in finance, like working for banks and is also like a weird leftist. So I don't know, lots of stuff going on. But he wrote this book called And Forgive Them Their Debts um, and a bunch of other books, too. But in this book, he really traces uh, the concept of a jubilee um, historically and he locates it before the Bible even. So jubilees are really fascinating because, uh, you know, in the Bible, we encounter them in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, um, but they're already present in like uh, ancient um, Babylon or or Assyria, you know, like uh, Hammurabi, those codes have codes for debt release and so on. And one thing that Hudson points out is like, it's not just debts that that are old, it's also the forgiveness of debts that is very old. So there's like all kinds of reasons that ancient rulers would forgive debt and not always like good ones either. Like they might forgive a debt because they want to, you know, lower the power of a particular merchant class. Um, They might forgive debts just to kind of like get favor from their people or they might get rid of debt because like a a city that is overburdened by debt is very easy to like take over. (laughs) So lots of, uh, you know, not so like, um, goodwill reasons necessarily, but it was a really common practice anyway in the ancient world to be forgiving debts. And the Bible enters that conversation in its own particular way. We talked about that a bunch on the past episode, so you can hear more about that. Um, but by the time you get to Jesus, uh, he inaugurates this Jubilee year in Luke 4. And I think this is something that we should talk about more as Christians, that Jesus announces his own ministry as really in keeping with this ancient tradition that is both biblical and extra biblical. Uh, he is the 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 king, the Messiah or whatever, who has come to proclaim that all the all the captives go free. The land is supposed to rest. The, the debts are canceled. That's the Jubilee tradition. And what that means for us today in a society that is like so indebted, um, so indebted that it is causing, you know, crisis after crisis. I think uh, it's important for Christians to kind of recognize that the Jubilee is not just an accident tacked on to Christianity or something that was like, oh, that's in the the Old Testament. So it's not important. Uh, It's actually like a fundamental feature of how Jesus understood what he was doing. So it's good to maybe figure that that piece out. Yeah, totally. So in in the Old Testament, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, there's, you know, there's the year of Jubilee. That's every 50 years. But then every seven years, there's a Sabbath year, a sabbatical year, right? And, um, you know, the sabbatical years are like a, a mini jubilee or something where you're supposed to, you know, <laughs> you're chilling out, you know, you're, you're just vibing with your family. You're not working the fields. Uh, but then in the, the big year of jubilee, it, that's like the big economic reset, right? The, the land um, has to go back to its original owners and so on. And, uh, you know, all debts are canceled. And it, it is a really fascinating thing because in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it is set up in real moral terms, I think. Um, and also in spiritual terms too, right? That it's it's a day of rest, and there's something not a day of rest. It's like a year of rest, um, but <laughs> a moment, a, a time, a duration of rest. Um, so there's a spiritual aspect to it, but it is a moral term in, in the sense that in, in Deuteronomy it does say that like, um, you know, if you kind of follow these these rules that God's giving you, 
like no one will be no one will be like poor basically in your community there there won't be anyone in need um but yeah i mean i think you're right dean that like you know uh that tradition never stops it's no one ever in the history of the bible is like okay and now the regime of like jubilee is over <laughs> we're right. not going to do it anymore jesus continues it i mean you know and it in, in in going forward it's like continued but like we've we've stopped for some i mean capitalistic reasons i suppose but all that to say it's a part of the tradition that christians inherit with if you you know if you're going to take jesus seriously it's just it's there and you got to do something with it. it you know it doesn't say should really the working class be paying for the jubilee of the, <laughs> right. the wealthy it's it's not part of the the deal here yeah you know that's also something maybe worth pointing out so many christians are concerned about that uh should this person pay the debt of another person or whatever and what's great about the biblical jubilee is like that is just never a question. <laughs> like nobody raises that objection, um, at least in the in the biblical text. You never hear someone being like, well, I worked for the past, you know, 49 years and like I got this land and fair and square through all these like business deals and all these people working on it and so on and so forth. So like you shouldn't be able to just take it away. Like the Bible is just like, this is just how it works. Sorry. <laughs> like it's like an intentional anti-growth program. Um, it's designed on purpose to make sure that capitalism, you know, gets cut off uh, every 49 years. Like uh, that's, that's a really important piece. Yeah, for sure. Saying it's anti-growth is actually, that makes a lot of sense. It's definitely a stable state type of government or it's trying to be right. It's uh, it's, it's got a reset. It's got a built-in expiration date. That's pretty interesting. You know, I was even uh, this morning, uh, I was making a dumb joke on Twitter about um, about the uh, communism of consumption and acts. And I don't know, it's kind of hard to think about that not in connection to Jubilee in some ways, right? That like um, uh, the property divisions of like uh, of the old society, they're like kind of doing away with and they're they're not even recognizing that that property is sort of like individuated anymore. They're they're holding all things in common, which is um you know, it's not the same idea as as Jubilee, but it seems kind of like a logical conclusion of that type of uh, idea, Be because in um, in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and even with Jesus, you know, you get the feeling that private property, you know, the reason that it does reset, the reason that it does, you know, have this like sort of rhythm to it is because it that that sales are not final property does not belong to one person sort of at some like ontological level. Um, because it ultimately belongs to God. And I guess you see that same that same logic kind of carried out in in like in acts when everyone's kind of just giving mm -hmm. up their their stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you get that even with the chastising of Ananias and Sapphira, right? <laughs> like, who are you to sort of hold this back? Um, right. From God. Well, I, I guess I bring that up because that's the underlying assumption that I think is really important yeah. to Jubilee is that it recognizes property is not like immutable or something. Yeah. Right? Property is something that's like. Uh, I don't know. You have it until you don't. It's not yours. It's only yours for a time. Right. Well, you might be wondering what happened to Jubilee then, right? <laughs> Jesus is uh, kind of reviving this tradition in his own ministry and his followers are maybe enacting it in uh, the book of Acts. And I think it's important also to see. So Jubilee is such a foundational thread in the biblical text. I mean, you find it in the Torah, you find it in the prophets, you find it in Jesus and you find it after Jesus. Um, but the maybe kind of strange thing about it is also in the text, what you find is a suspicious lack of, uh, lack of attention to the Jubilee in a political way in the actual records of how Kings behave, right? We don't have any record of, 
uh, a king in Israel really doing the Jubilee the way it's meant to be done. And so what, you get this tension, I think, in the text where there's a, a dream of the, the kind of reset, but there's this also, um, you know, political temptation to avoid it, uh, which is exactly the thing that God tells the Israelites is going to happen if they if they set up a king and so on and so forth. So there's this tension there. The prophets are the ones who are always saying to the kings, like, you're not respecting this, right? You get that in Isaiah, which is the the passage that uh, Jesus quotes in Luke 4, um, carrying on that prophetic tradition. So on the one hand, Jubilee is this, like, major thread. On the other hand, uh, God's community or whatever is, like, very bad at doing it. Um, But there are historical reasons for that as well. So... Like I said, in the ancient world, Jubilee was really common um, in and outside of the the biblical kind of peoples. But uh, the short story, I guess, of the history is, you know, debtors were kind of understood to be uh, an important piece of um, like running a healthy society. And there was a struggle between the creditors and other ruling powers, the political class um that was kind of ongoing who who controls the land and so on and eventually the creditors win so they win in a lot of different ways they change legal priorities they buy and privatize land they crush debtor movements violently um that what they really do maybe this connects to that graber piece is they they change the valorization of the people right the kind of recognition that the people have value into the valorization of private property that the creditors uh are owed And that's what's important. So by the time you get to like the Roman Empire, there are legal structures that end up enshrining creditor rights over debtor rights. That's like a huge transformative moment in Rome. And Christianity inherits that legal structure historically. And unfortunately, Christianity is the one that gets changed by that inheritance when it comes to debt rather than the other way around. So Christianity didn't, you know, proclaim the Jubilee into the Roman law. Uh, it was the other way that Roman law put a lid on Jubilee. And today we all live with the inheritance of that legal tradition and the sort of general ethical assumptions around debt and credit that the creditor is always, uh, they should get what they're owed. The debtor should always pay what they owe. Uh, those ideas have been, you know, weirdly kind of mediated through Christianity <laughs> in all these weird ways, uh, but they originate in in Roman law uh, so it's it's this really complicated sort of story. And I think it's it's worth kind of seeing that tension between like the Jubilee, the, the story of the Bible itself is the story of uh, in initiating the Jubilee and then seeing that have such a hard time get off the ground. And uh, we're still in that situation. Right. The Jubilee is still baked into our tradition. And nevertheless, uh, we, we live in a in a situation where the people who. Are, it's politically expedient for them to not have a jubilee. They're doing everything they can to fight against any sort of threat to that order. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's a great way to kind of connect those dots. You know, it's what ends up being such a weird thing about it is that, you know, it's it's the valorization of private property over people. And, um, you know, debts have to be paid in this sort of like weird scheme. But it's such a it's such a weird thing that relies so heavily on class distinction, because, you know, when it comes to I, I mean, like, I guess the thing that people are drawing out now is that the uh, the the PPP loans that people like that small business owners got during covid like the, those were those were all forgiven, like like blanket mm-hmm. blanket forgiven. 
And, uh, you know, the same people now are, are complaining about uh, uh, student loans being forgiven. And I mean, I guess there's a difference because like the PPP loans were meant to be forgiven from the very beginning. But like, I, it's such a weird and um, I guess such a stark reminder that economics, especially in debt, I mean, in particular, you know, um, the the logic is enforced along class lines for sure, right? Like yeah. um, student loans should be, I don't know, what just they should just be <laughs> loans in the same way that are meant to be forgiven or something. Yeah. It seems like so so obvious to me. But I mean, like, I guess in other ways, too, you kind of see the absurdity of it uh, ring out because, I don't know, your student loans can be sold from one company to another company to collect them, like for pennies on the dollar. And it's like, you know, are they actually even worth the amount that they are uh, making you pay? And it's like, I, I guess not really. I, I guess all I'm trying to say here is that the economic logics are, are like pretty loosey-goosey yeah. when it comes to debt repayment. And that there are some really strict rules for people who have to repay it. But some really some really slippery rules when it comes to like uh, bourgeois creditors or, you know, when it comes to like small business owners, the things, things change. We have different rules for those people. Totally. And, you know, there's been lots of uh, things in the discourse too about like, okay, so the government bails people out all the time, rich people specifically, right? It, it bails out uh, not even just PPP loan stuff, but you know, the banks after 2008, all these kinds of things. And uh, I think that's true. You know, right wing people will point out that there are flaws in that analogy that like, oh, these big institutions or these businesses and so on are necessary for the economy to function in a way that like student uh, debt is is not or kind of like addressing student debt is not, which is like true to an extent, (laughs) true in a certain way, but completely false in another one. Right. Like um the uh the assumption that like oh these institutions create economic value and therefore the government should like like the taxpayer should foot the bill for their failure and frankly like you know their abuses of power um especially in the case of the banks like that is such a <laughs> an ideological move um to then say that and everybody else average folks don't really deserve to get anything from the government right um there's also all kinds of other stuff built, built into it like the U.S. government, it can decide where it wants to get this money. Uh, you know, like Bernie Sanders is always going on and on uh, about how you could just text uh, text Jeff Bezos and uh, buy whatever you want, <laughs> buy health care, buy student loans and so on. Right. And uh, and it's true. Like um, it doesn't even have to be taxpayers bailing people out. <laughs> it can be rich people bailing taxpayers out if we want. Uh, and uh, I think that's the the big piece here as well is like, just refusing kind of um, false ways of like shifting blame around or being like, oh, these these kind of bailouts matter more than others because they're qualitatively different. Like, you know, they're all just ways of avoiding the fact that at the end of the day, the only real reason to kind of oppose a move like this or to oppose student debt cancellation at all is because of an addiction to a bad story about right and wrong. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's just a childhood fairy tale about good and evil, and that's it. There's there's nothing more to it. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, you know, people in, like, abolition circles, they talk about the the construction of crime. Um, right. And how, I mean, it's it's very similar, right? Like, a crime is a story that you, you, that you tell particular people from particular institutions, and, like, that's how we get people in jail. Um, <laughs> some crimes don't even make sense, right? Um, but I guess there's a similar construction around like debt and credit, just a different institutions telling the stories, but it's still at the end of the day, they're like, they are stories for sure. Right. Like, um, <laughs> okay. This is going to be a wild thing to say, 
But uh, earlier today, there was a tweet that had a clip uh, from Dave Ramsey. <laughs> and it is a very funny clip. Uh, so this person, okay, first of all, there's two, there's two things to talk about here. Uh, somebody calls into Dave Ramsey's show and it's like, you know, in light of this like debt repayment, should I should I still pay off my student loans? And the Dave Ramsey's co-host, someone I don't know their name, uh, was just like, yeah, you have to still pay, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like they only they only owed like twenty five hundred dollars or something. Um, and uh, but for some reason, Dave Ramsey still recommends that they pay it, uh, which is bonkers and bad advice. Um, fun fact: if you uh, if you've been paying on your loans. Uh, during this time uh, when the uh, the payments have been paused, you can actually ask for that money back. It's your money. Fun fact. Fun fact. I'm giving you here on this podcast. It's your money and you want it now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Call the government. Tell the tell them that a guy in a podcast told them that you can have your money back. And I'm sure it'll go really well. Um, but, but I'm not being, I'm not joking, though. I think that's real. Um, anyways, uh, the other clip on Dave Ramsey that's worth talking about is that uh, kind of reflecting on like the, on, on this policy from Joe Biden, he like loses his mind kind of in the middle of uh, of the show and kind of goes on this rant where he's just like, you know, I can't the the real problem isn't uh, isn't student loans. People should pay those back. The real problem is predatory, predatory loan companies like giving loans to 18 year olds. They can't even buy a case of beer, but they can, you know, uh, they can take out fifty thousand dollars in debt and get a, a degree in gender studies or whatever. And um, on the one hand, like. I guess I do agree with Dave Ramsey <laughs> so, <laughs> that like, uh, I, I guess what, what I mean is that why do we put all of the responsibility on creditors? I'm sorry. Why do we put all the responsibility on people who take out loans, um, debtors, if you will, and not any, uh, not any responsibility on the risk of like a company offering an 18 year old a loan. Yeah. I think like, sorry, there's just risk in that. Like you, I don't know. Like they, Dave Ramsey's right. They can't even buy a, a case of beer, but you're going to trust them with $50,000. Like you, you deserve not to be paid back. Yeah, exactly. Being so dumb. That is exactly how I feel. And I think that's my biggest sort of, uh, at least existential reflection on all this, right? Like people are so upset about debt being forgiven. Um, not because it's like really about keeping your promises or whatever, but because they have this, uh, failure to recognize that loans are a risk in both directions. the, uh, the debtor is taking the risk that, you know, they'll with this money make an investment in their education or whatever that will pay more later. Like it's a speculative exercise to do that. Um, and uh, whether or not like I didn't know that at 18 that I was doing that. <laughs> I never I didn't think <laughs> in those terms, but that's yeah. the, the reality. Um, but the creditor also is making a bet that like, yeah, if we invest in this person, we'll get our money back plus more of it. And like I always think about like when I went to school. And I took out loans at an evangelical school in Grand Rapids, Michigan. That is not Calvin College. <laughs> uh, I my declared major was youth ministry. And if you gave me tens of thousands of dollars to study youth ministry at, when I was 18 years old and like all I cared about was Pirates of the Caribbean, I'm sorry, yeah. but like you are not smart. <laughs> You're not a smart person. <laughs> and like, I don't think that I should pay you back because you made a huge mistake. <laughs> that, that, that was your <laughs> your bad judgment, I think, at the end of the day. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Hard to, hard to imagine they would trust you with that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't either. <laughs> I, dude, I want I want you to have your best life, and I want you to go to college, but I don't want you to study youth ministry, and I don't think I would give you the money for that. I'm so sorry. No, and you would never see it again is the fact. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it's like there's no law in the universe that says only debtors take on a risk in a loan. And I think, like you were saying, the construction of crime I guess that's what I was getting at by telling that story of like, 
you know, the way that the history of um, like the Roman Empire in particular changed the stories we have around debt and credit, because like there was a time in human history where people didn't think that the creditors were, uh, you know, that they deserved everything that they were owed didn't think that the creditors were impenetrable and in fact also saw the creditors as often oppressors. Like that's the rhetoric that you get in the Bible and elsewhere. And rightly what those people did is forgave the debts, wiped it clean and restarted. Right. And that was extremely common. And we've just decided completely arbitrarily, not according to natural law, not according to biblical principles or good economics or whatever, We've just decided that the creditor never risks and the creditor should never lose. And I think that is something we need to really break out of to recognize that that there's no reason for that other than it's just a decision our society's made. And we're starting maybe to turn a corner where, like, you know, the creditor can bleed a little bit. <laughs> and uh, that that really matters. It matters to see that there's some vulnerability in the creditor's position. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, I think that people are more and more kind of like speaking out about it, too. I, You know, I mentioned the the Debt Collective at the very beginning of the episode. Uh, you know, they're an organization that I, I mean, they started in, in Canada around some um, student protests in Quebec. But I mean, they they're they've done a really good job, like politicizing the issue and making sure that people like realize that this is this is not just like, I don't know, a weird niche topic, but this is um an important struggle that people just like recognize as such, you know, um, it kind of makes me think uh, at, at church. This is such a weird story. Um, my church is uh, we've been we've been reading the parable of subversive speech book by William Herzog together, which has been very fun. Very cool. Talking about par- parables. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a very funny conversation with people. Um, anyways, uh, the most recent one we read was the uh, the parable of the talents. We talked about it in an episode not too long ago. This is kind of an aside, but in the the parable of the talents is like the sort of a classical biblical story. Jesus is telling a story about a rich guy who gives his servants uh, some money while he leaves town, <laughs> and the servants are supposed to like uh, you know invest that money and grow it in interest and like you know return the money to the to the rich guy when he comes back. But uh, the thing that Herzog adds to the story is that the way that they would have um, grown the interest of that money and like, you know, made more money for their boss, I guess, was loaning um, was predatory loaning was was loaning it out to peasant farmers. uh, And then um, they would the farmers would put their land up for collateral. And when they couldn't pay it back, um, then, (laughs) you know, they (laughs) they seize their property. And I guess like, I don't know, it's interesting because like there's. Uh, not only is Jubilee kind of like a, an important biblical story, um, an important piece of the puzzle that we've like stopped telling ourselves, but also there's like this other sort of like subversive reading of some of the parables where, um, I don't know, uh, the people that Jesus were ta- was talking to, like Jesus was like kind of warning them about this sort of subtly, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, all I'm trying to say here is that there's like a, there's a pretty long tradition of uh, Christians being pretty suspicious of people who are loaning them money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I mean... You know, it's a whole nother episode, too, to talk about, like, the history of usury and how, I don't know, like, Dante puts the the usurers, the creditors in, like, I think the seventh or eighth circle of hell. <laughs> like, it's uh, not a place you want to be in the Christian tradition for a long time. You don't want to be a creditor. Um, and there's bad stuff involved in that, too. Some anti-Semitism, you know, that is extremely awful, constitutive of that. So it's not a pure tradition either. But uh, nevertheless, like, Christianity is very suspicious in general of uh, getting a leg up by exploiting somebody else uh, in terms of speculative, you know, betting on the future, betting on their ability to make you money. 
Um, that's not a good way to be in the world. It's uh, true. Someone's got to tell Sean Foyt. Yeah, someone's got to tell Sean Foyt a, a lot of things. Um, so, yeah, debt forgiveness. I think, you know, this thing about Biden's um, plan, uh, it is a half measure. And I think, I promise, we're going to get to the criti- criticism side, and I think we should. Um, it's uh, it's important maybe in criticizing it to not lose what it does mean, as we've been saying. Like, I think there's a, there's a temptation to say, like, okay, this is totally useless. It's, I don't know, like a flash in the pan, whatever. That is, like, not true. <laughs> not true at all. Um, but it is important to also say, like, we don't have to go out of our way to uh, praise Joe Biden or be like, aha, he has successfully bought our boat. That's all bought our votes. That's all I was worth the whole time. Um, Joe Biden, you know, like $10,000 was a very low compromise. Uh, the numbers that were getting tossed around, even during the Democratic primaries um, by uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, were closer to 50000 It's at times a universal forgiveness, uh, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, like... At the end of the day, Biden chose actually a very conservative um, way of of kind of delivering on this. And when we think about the history of Jubilee, I think it's important to be like, it's cool. It's very cool that now we've got some vulnerability among the creditors, um, but it's not as cool as it could be. Uh, as far as Jubilee rulers go, Biden is really stingy. <laughs> he's, uh, he's not doing uh, Jubilee the way that like, the uh you know the ancient kings would have done in the interest of the people against the the bloated power of the creditors and i think as christians on the left this is the moment to also say we have to really dislodge the rule of the creditors the creditors the the capitalists are the ones who basically have the rest of us stuck and it's with student debt it's with other things too you know we've talked about the global debt regime in the past um there's all kinds of stuff people can read, too, about the rise of the credit economy. Like, uh, this is kind of an aside, but, like, I remember when I was first really learning about um, political economy, I was listening to, like, a David Harvey lecture about wages, and he was talking about how one of the big deals that um, that was made with the working class, basically, <laughs> deals being a, an ironic term, is, like, in the uh, 70s into the 80s, um, wages started to stagnate and that actually creates a problem for capital because if your wages aren't going up, you can't buy stuff. Um, and so how do you solve that without raising wages and therefore, you know, keeping more of the surplus value that you have? Uh, you solve it by doling out credit cards, right? So people can keep spending money they don't have, betting against the future that they will never actually arrive or achieve. And uh, that that was the the deal made, right? We don't have to raise wages. We just give you access to credit. You can go into debt. And that pushes you uh, still into the the capitalist economy, but then it it adds a whole extra layer of oppression onto your life. Right. So the the credit economy has expanded all over the place. It's expanded in uh, in our education. It's expanded so that our wages don't go up. Uh, You know, housing markets are hyperinflated right now across North America. And I think this is the moment for Christians to be like Jubilee means no half measures. It means push it further and further. Right. So like seeing this as maybe an opening to push uh, to kind of uh, not say we want to be satisfied with this, but like we want to be like, thank you for opening the door. (laughs) That's great. Um, But now we have to like push that door all the way open, you know, not just a crack. Uh, Maybe that's sort of the next phase of the struggle. That's right. Capitalism gave us credit cards and uh, comrade Dave Ramsey. He says credit cards are bad (laughs) and that's why he's a socialist. And I think that's really cool for him. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. I wonder if uh, did Dave Ramsey get his uh, PPP loans forgiven? I'm sure that he did. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I would imagine that he did. Um, man. Yeah, well, I think that you're right, though. Um, if I, you, you know, it's just like. I, I think that uh, people on the right want to politicize this as just like uh, this is just the unhinged left, you know, doing their thing when it's it's like you said, pretty conservative. But I think that like there's something really faithful about uh, being a Christian and and like calling for Jubilee. I think that it, it's just it's in the Bible. It's in our Christian tradition. It's it's in the sort of like logic of Jesus kind of at every turn. And there's nothing you can really do to get away from it. So I don't know. Um, you know, there's like, <laughs> there's something in me that's like extremely like just cringing at like the idea of like earnestly talking about like Christianity or something. But like, I don't know. I think that there's some, <laughs> there's a power to it. And, uh, I, I don't know if we're going to take the tradition seriously, if we're going to tra- take the Bible seriously, if we're going to take Jesus seriously, I don't know. It seems like uh Jubilee is worth, worth our time to, uh, to, to push, uh, to push more debt forgiveness. Yep, I agree. So you heard it here. Um, set the captives free. Let the land rest. Cancel all the debts. There's four months left in 2022. Um, there's still time <laughs> to do it this year. <laughs> Let's make it this year. This is the Jubilee year. Thanks for listening to The Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash The Magnificast. You can help me pay off my student loans. <laughs> Unless you have student loans yourself. I don't know. Do whatever you want. It's your money. Not mine. Uh, we, uh, are doing a really cool discord chat. Um, if you support us at $2 or more, um, lots of great stuff going on there. We finished up a book club recently. We'll probably read something else in a little bit. Um, you can join the conversation over there. Our music is by Amoria Armstrong. Our outro is by the illogical spoon. We'll see you next week. Get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. Jackson, keep your hoods up. Keep your hoods up and you stay up late in Jackson. You keep your hoods up, well you keep your hoods up and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early. Lisa, what else?